Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast. It is Thursday, June 15th, second of two podcasts this week at TigerIllustrated.com. Starting today, rolling out a three-part series from, from our lengthy sit-down interview with Brad Brownell recently. It's been an eventful couple of months for him and the program. Some really interesting insights from him about the state of the program heading into his 14th season. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Its office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Solero Communication formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Okay, here we go. Part three of the epic Nick Eason life story. Where we left off in part two was with Nick in the hospital when he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers. A ruptured appendix led to really a life-threatening situation. All right, here we go. So I spent like probably the next um, week or two weeks in intensive care. Um, So probably I come off the ventilator. I probably on there for like a couple days, breathing my own. I end up getting. um, So I started. uh, I still feel so sick, right? You know, I couldn't eat. um, Just feel weak. I lied to my mom till I was fine. My mom didn't know that me and my my wife at the time were having, you know, issues or separated by the divorce. So my mom comes and so, you know, my mom obviously is feeling kind of way like, why in the hell is your, you know, she's not here or whatever. But I told her she wanted to come, but I told her not to come. So um, my mom walks in and looking at all the machines and everything. And so she's like just bawling. Like, she wasn't expecting to walk in and see that. And I just shook my head like, I'm sorry. You know, and my phone out of all times just crashed. Like, I had no way to get in contact with anybody. Mm. And the only person knew was you know, my friend Vanessa. And then um, really what, how bad it was. And so, um, so my mom's there and I start vomiting, like throwing up. The stuff coming out of my mouth, 
it was feces. It's because wow. the infection shut down my bowels. Yeah. Like, it, so I had a lot of stuff going on. So the infection shut down my bowels. So my bowels are like, it ain't coming out the other way. Yeah. And so it was filling up in my stomach. And so I was Man. vomiting boo-boo feces out of my mouth. And so I was like, okay, this ain't good. So I'm feeling worse than what I was when I was awake, like before I had the surgery. It was like day two? This is day like four. Day four. I'm throwing up feces. And so uh, I uh, so I had a whole three holes, one here, one there, one here. So they had a, I had to swallow this pipe into so my. They didn't cut you. Oh yeah, they oh, were laparoscopic. Yeah, oh, they laparoscopic, yeah. right? So I had to swallow this pipe, push the NG tube through my nose and into my stomach while I'm awake. Which I was like, this is barbaric. To do what? To to kick, because that poop is in my stomach. And if that gets filled up and gets to my lungs, like I'm going to die, right? And which is what they told me. They're like, Mr. Easton, like, you have to get this in your stomach. Or that poop is going to fill up, it's going to get in your lungs, and you're going to die. All right? So you're either going to swallow this, so I was like, I'm going to swallow. But the first time I tried to swallow it, I gagged on it, and it come out. My, it would come out my mouth through my nose. So imagine they sticking this thing in your nose and you and like this, and it comes out your mouth like this. You know, and they pull it back out and it goes back through. Like, yeah, yeah. It was awful, right? So I'm just like, man, this is not right. Like I know y'all can put me to sleep, and they're like, no, we can't. You got to swallow this into your stomach, All right? And so, man. So after that, get the I get the tube in. And first of all, I have so much respect for people. I, I can relate to people who are in hospital beds that have those tubes and that goes into their stomach. Because if you talk it or swallow, that tube taps on the backs of your throat and you feel like you're choking. Which is why most people when they're in the bed, if you've ever seen somebody, they're like this. They keep their mouth open mm-hmm. for the reason. Because so, that's the comfortable position. Yeah. Like you don't want to move. Like every movement, that thing can move. It's in your throat. Yeah. And the move. So that's why I didn't want nobody touching my bed. I didn't want you to touch me. I didn't want the nurses to move me, turn me over, because that thing is in your stomach and you feel in your throat. Yeah. So I had that in my there for about they made me let you go like four or five days and after that you have to get a thing about getting a colostomy bag. So here we are. I'm in like my fourth, fifth day, six, seven, eight, nine day. I got this tube in. Um, I lost 33 pounds in nine days. I can't walk. On, I can't lie. Like, I physically can't move anymore. My body is just depleting because I can't eat. They couldn't give me nothing to eat because of what's going on in there. I'm sitting in bed one night and I feel something leaking out of my stomach. I take my finger, white, it's black, like this color. And I'm just like, I was like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. As you come in, and the nurse is like, oh, no. And I'm like, and my mom's like, what's going on? She's like, he's got a staph infection now in his stomach. So pull off gauze. The hole in my stomach is like this big already for where they did laparoscopic and pulled out the intestines and my appendix. Like there's a big hole like in here, but you, the entryway is probably like this big. Right. But the hole is like this much space. Pull it off, man. They had to clean. That hole got infected with staph. Yeah. And so they had to clean it out twice a day. 
it is the most excruciating pain I ever went through. So I had to get that cleaned out twice a day. I'm on a morphine pump, but the doctors tell me like if I don't, the morphine has shut my bowels down too because morphine obviously they give it to people and get ready to die. You know it sh- it slows everything down. So I they, I like if I was not be able to go to the bathroom, they were gonna have to give me a colostomy bag. So in order for my bowel to see my bowel somewhere, I had to come off the morphine pump, which means I was going to feel all the yeah. pain from the surgery. Mm-hmm. So I had to get off the morphine pump and just suffer for like four, set three days, maybe two to three days, just through the pain oh my of the cuts and the incision. So they're changing my gauze twice a day. So I get through that. You know, once miraculous is some morning, they think that I pulled it out, but I'm telling you, I didn't. That thing came, that that NG tube, like, came out on its own. Like, I woke up on a Sunday morning, and the tube, like, it just fell out. And the nurses, like, put, like thought I pulled it out. But I was too afraid to even touch it. And I told yeah. the nurse, I said, ma'am, I said, like, the Lord, somebody pulled it out, but it wasn't me, and it wasn't my mama. But yeah, keep in mind, this thing goes from in here, and it goes all the way into my stomach. Yeah. And so it, I woke up and it was like it just fell out. So I and she's like, if you throw up, she's like, if you throw up, we're gonna have to put that. That's gonna have to go back in. And so man, I I went to the bathroom. Um, I didn't throw up again, but I still had this hole in my stomach. So the hole has the heel closed from the inside out. Yeah. So I had to pack my stomach for two months before training camp. So this all my birthday is May 29th. So I went through all of this from May 29th, May 30th, May 30th through like August. I'm packing my stomach. I When I left the hospital after being there for two and a half weeks, almost three weeks, I had a nurse that lived at home with me because she was having to take care of me. Mm-hmm. And the doctor was like, you're more susceptible to catch another infection at the hospital than being at home because it's people, sick people in here and there's all kinds of diseases and stuff in this yeah. hospital. So I'm going to send you home, but you can have a nurse there. And uh, she was the meanest nurse ever. She was like, you know, the old nurse, not the nice yeah. young nurse. It was an old lady. And man, she 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 changed my, she stayed up with me the whole like for like a, probably week and a half, two weeks. And so once that, I wanted to go home because my kids were in Georgia at the time. And um, man, I had to learn how to pack my own stomach. So and that's basically like just lay on the bed. Yeah, I got to take. Yep. So you lay down, you pull the gauze off on top, and you literally are pulling like gauze out of your stomach like this. And and like the more it healed, the more it tore. It's like you know you like uh, scabbing, you know on on your skin. So more it it was closing, but the more it like that that gauze got stuck on the inside in there, and it was pulling. And it was the worst ever. Mm. But I had to show the doctor that I can clean it and take care of my wound before he would allow me to go home. Mm. So I had to go to the doctor, lay on the table, clean my own stomach out. Oh, it was awful, man. It was the worst thing I've ever went through in my life. Like, I'll never forget that. And and like, and so I came back that year, and uh, I have this huge trophy in my room. It's called the Ed Block Courage Award. It's not an award you want, but it's a huge, like, Steelers helmet that's been, like, dumped, like, covered in, like, um, platinum yeah and that's you they fly you you have to you know they do like this big banquet in pittsburgh and then they fly you to this a ceremony in in um in in baltimore 
And it's for players who ever come in like adversity. Mm-hmm. And they, they actually featured my story mm. because it was unique because it was not a knee or a shoulder. Yeah. It was like a you know, appendix, yeah. you know, in the story. So they featured my story there. And I remember like when Mike Tomlin had his meeting, like for voting for the Air Block Courage Award, and he's like, Y'all ain't gonna write you can write whatever you want, but yeah. Nick Easton is getting this award. Yeah. Um, because um people don't know I've, I've shared it publicly a couple of times. I'm, I'm close to him, and I admire him as a coach. He's a hell of a coach, hell of a person, man. But he's more of a hell of a person for me because he actually came and saw me every day when I was in the hospital. Is that right? Yeah, and actually would help me, like, walk down the hallways when I did, trying to get me to move. Like, he'd be, like, underneath me, like, trying to help me walk. Like, he wow. came every day and sat with me when okay. I was sick. And so, like, I'll never forget that. For the rest of my life, because yeah. um, he was really uh, printing another port passport for him in the area. He was having a second copy of my um, um, He sat there with me every day, and and man, so that was, you know, you know that was tough. So my mom goes do that, goes to cancer. I go through that, go to another Super Bowl. We lose that year against Green Bay, um, and so fast forward with my mom. Um, I'm in. Uh, I come home on off season. I just signed with the Arizona Cardinals. I go home. My mom tells me she's not feeling good. She got uh, a cold, like flu-like symptoms. Right. I take her to the emergency room in Vidalia, and I leave Vidalia. I mean, I take her to the emergency room. We leave the emergency. They say she had an upper respiratory infection. I leave there. I come back, and then they tell me that. Um, we, we, I take it to another hospital in Statesboro, Georgia, and they tell me that her cancer's back. And it's at stage three. Wow. And I'm like, how in the world have you not been going to your appointments? And so, and she's like, yeah, you know, they say they saw someone one time, but, you know, and I'm like, they didn't follow up on it. So I was at this one point in time, I thought I was going to sue this, yeah. but the office is closed now. Oh, boy. The place where she was going for her check her. Shut down. Her. So, anyways, so, man, so, man, I knew, this is June, my mom died in August, June, um, so it came back, it was in stage three, it took her to Metal College of Georgia, man, she was, um, you know, she was, my mom was 50, I mean, 50 years old, um, still teaching at the school, mm. and all of a sudden, boom, in the summertime, like, um, you know, cancer comes back, Stage three, I was told she's going to live seven to ten months, you know, after that. She didn't know that. I never told her that. We go to Arizona. She wants to get treated at the tri- Cancer Center Treatments of America in Arizona. Nobody's out there besides me and her. And then I had actually transitioned my family, you know, that with my wife, who I was having issues with and about to split up. Mm-hmm. We moved them to Arizona. I moved them to Arizona so I can be close to my kids. And so, um, but my mom moved there to go to she came there to go to Cancer Treatments of America. So while I was at Flagstaff, she was at the Cancer Center Treatments of America maybe like a week. And then they called me down, told me that the cancer had spread in her lungs and like it, it had metastasized. Like, and so she's breathing off a of half of her lung. Mm. I had to insert a, uh, a drainage tube into around her heart because so much fluid was building up from a tumor that was there. Mm-hmm. And it went from you know seven to 10 months to a month to like four days. And so when I get there, they were talking about putting the hospitals out in Arizona. I'm like, no, 
you know. And so I could see my mom, you know, I told the doctor, the doctor said what he's saying, and she she watched me, um, but I knew she would be able to read my emotions. And so I told the doctor, like, come here, let's talk somewhere so she can't see me. And so, man, I just had to get myself together, go back in the room and sit in there just looking at TV. And I can feel somebody, you know, she's sitting there, man, she's looking at me. And she's like, because she wasn't on, like, a ventilator or anything like that, you know. And she's like, Nick, what did the doctor say? And I was like, oh, he's just, he's just saying, like, what we got to do next and all that. And I just kept looking at the TV. And she, and she, say, and she says, uh, um, if, you, you, if you love me, you'll tell me the truth, right? And I said, ah, you had to do that one, right? And I said, well, you know, ain't nothing else they can do. Um, he was talking to me about putting you in the hospice out here and, uh, or, you know, I'm going to try to get you home. And she's like, all right, well, you know, take me home. And so, man, I couldn't put her on an uh, ambulance because she wasn't going to make a trip. That was 36 hours. That ain't happening. Couldn't put her on a first-class flight. Can I put her on a first-class flight? Nope. And so, man, I had to purchase a jet that I think was like twenty two, twenty three thousand dollars. You rented a, a, private, a vacuum, like a jet with yeah. a nurse, two nurses on it. I think it was a doctor, two nurses, two pilots, wow. just to bring her back home. Until when I brought her back, a good friend of mine, who's on my foundation board, works at Memorial Hospital in Savannah. I was actually fly, I was supposed to fly into Vidalia, but ended up flying her to um, Savannah, and uh, was told the same thing. And uh, I remember they was about to put a CPAP little thing on her face. <laughs> And uh, she yelled at me, and she, like, swiped the thing, and she said, Nick, I said, take me home mm-hmm. right now. And I was like, man, I walked out there. You thought, like, I was like, you, the, the, the nurses in the whole entire hallway, they were all crying because oh, they man. saw this big, um, you know, NFL guy, and I was like a little kid. You thought I, like, lost like I was a kid that somebody took my teddy bear from me. And walking in the house crying, they all were crying, too. Yeah. Cause they heard her like yell at me. Mm. I said, "Take me home. You gotta get over it. You gotta let me go." Mm. And so I, um, so we leave. I sign a do not resuscitate papers in order to transfer her home to put her in a hospice. So we get the hospice, and man, I'm sitting in the living room and I'm just watching her. And so we we riding, you know, there. And she looked at the back door, and it was a lady that was there that's friends of our family. She said, "Dog, you know, somebody over here already." I said, "Mom, you ain't gotta see her." So I said, "Man, she's not taking no visitors right now, so you can." It was friends of my grandfather, and um, um, you know, so my grandfather actually died while I was, you know, so my grandfather died actually before my mom um, the previous year, mm-hmm. uh, who was like a father to me, and I happened to be, um, I was in um, celebrating my, you know, wedding anniversary after a year. I was in the, the Bahamas. And so I had to watch him die on a video phone call because oh, I didn't want to be selfish and I couldn't get back. I was contemplating. I was so angry because I had a choice to go to Georgia because I knew he was kind of declining or I could have because he just was on dialysis. It drained him. He just got old and kind of find out he stopped taking his dialysis pills. Like when I started cleaning his claws out, there were pills like in oh, his coats and stuff man. like he just and I knew one day he sent me on the porch. He's a like, son. I made, you know, something happened to me. I want you to make sure you take care of your grandma. Like that. I'm like, what? You know, people have those conversations. Like, what are you talking about that for? You know? But he had just made up in his mind that he was just tired of being on dialysis. He had been on it for like 11 years. And he was just like, he ain't doing it no more. And so he just went dialysis, but he wouldn't do what he's supposed to do. So eventually, he got to a place where he was just so weak and he was at a hospital. And I chose to go to Bahamas. Couldn't get in and fly on the weekend. 
And so I just talked to him on the phone. I was like, I'm not gonna be selfish. Like, don't I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be there. So if you wanna go ahead and leave, you can leave. And so my family actually had left and went and got something to eat and while they were gone, that's when he slipped away. Mm. You know, and so that happened the year before my mom got sick. So fast forward back to my mom. So I bring her home, we get home and she's in a room, I'm in a living room. And and uh one point in time you know, I took took out my mom's catheter. You know, because she was in so much pain. Mm-hmm. And so I texted because I got a lot of medical friends. So I actually wanted to be a forensic science doctor when I got to Clemson. So I was actually was going to major in biology, um, you know, which is why I have a very heavy interest in funeral funeral business. I'm going to meet with a funeral home tomorrow. To do what? <laughs> um, open up a funeral home. Are you serious? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've always been into forensics. And so I was going to be a doctor. So when I was at Clemson, I mean, not Clemson, when I was at Pittsburgh, I actually had two doctors write me a letter of recommendation to go back to med school. And because at the time, you know, it was a lot of friction in my marriage and, you know, you know, it was a lot of like, well, you're never home. You're never going to really be home. So I just opted to not do it. But that was like what my passion was. And it just really is surrounding by helping people. Mm-hmm. So I was going to be a biology major. And so that's kind of some of the reasons why I was able to graduate early because I had a kind of like a, you know, more of a sophisticated marriage and I switched to, to also sociology. And so that was one of my reasons why I was, you know, you know, that I felt I mentioned earlier um, that I was trying to, you know, max out my classes and the type of class I was taking because I wanted to be a doctor, forensic science doctor. So autopsy. Yeah. 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 I know. Weird. I know I'm a musician. Uh, autopsy. <laughs> so, so, so man, I, um, but anyways, back to my mom, I was in there, I found out how to take the catheter out and because uh, I wasn't going to wait because she was in so much pain like with that and taking out. She's like, oh my God, thank you. And I was like, I totally apologize for being between your legs, mom. This is so I know you're embarrassed. She's like, oh boy, at this point, it don't matter. So I took it out there and then uh, I remember and she's like, Nick, you got to do something. She's like, I can't do this no more. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you got to just take, they got to give me some pain medicine or something. Like, just just let me go. To, I'll go to hospice. So she just wanted to go to hospice. So I always tell like people like God is has a way of just doing things and so we're on our way to hospice and she's like, Are you mad at me? So I'm looking out the back of the ambulance like this. I remember we were going right past uh was on highway two eighty, um, going past Walmart and she's like, Are you mad at me? And I like, Why are you asking me that? And she's like, Cause I know you. She's like, You've been trying to fight this for the last three or four days and you gotta let me go. <laughs> She's like, I'm okay. Like, I love the Lord. Like, you ain't okay. And that's why I ain't okay. And she's like, so I ain't going to be okay until you're okay. And she's like, I appreciate everything you've done for me. And, like, you give me everything in my life, things in my life that I've never been able to have, you know. And so, man, because I, I knew the owner of Cancer Treatments of America. Like, I knew everybody. And so when I got up to hospice, um, my mom, um, we had that conversation and then like she got there and like I would leave, but I wouldn't go home like back to my grandma's house. I would just be riding around. And then she kept telling the nurse, she's like, I'm worried about my son. Like, I don't know how he's going to handle like this, you know. Uh, and I got a little brother and little sister from my mom. She got married. I had a little brother and little sister, Calvin and Joan. I mentioned them earlier. And uh, so um, but I used to just ride around and then go back and park in the parking lot. <laughs> so my uh, cousin who I call my sister Betty was there with her who's now deceased too who died from AIDS we'll get to that mm-hmm. um, um, but 
man, she was there and um, she just wouldn't, she just was like, where is Nick? Like, what is he doing? Like, where is he at? Blah, blah, blah. And man, I was like, my mom was a teacher, so they were, um, at first I wasn't gonna let nobody see her, but I, I forgot that she was like, current, she was still teaching. Mm-hmm. And so all these hundreds, like the parking lot, they had to call the cops, the, the police to help with parking. Wow. Man, there were hundreds of people there. Falcon in staff coming yeah. through, students crying. I mean, it was just, I don't know, I was like, wow. Like, I had not known, like, that's when I really got to see the impact that my mom had on all these kids, yeah. you know. Um, but hunt kids crying, and, and I started to be like the Mr. Overprotective, but I'm glad that I did um, because when I had my mom's cell phone, she had videos of p- kids in the classroom, and I saw those kids that I let come in the room to see her were in her phone. Like, there were some of her favorite students that oh, were coming in there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, kids that had been pregnant somewhere, maybe, you know, were, you know, part of the LGBT community. Like, she loved on everybody. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I rode around, and so I went home, went to, went to sleep, and, um, you know, uh, the biggest thing, I couldn't sleep. I probably didn't sleep for four days, and I just didn't want nothing to happen, and I miss it, you know. So, I, I got to a point where I was like, you know what? I'm being selfish as hell right now. Like, my mom was breathing off. She was taking a breath every 17 seconds. And so, I was just like, okay. And so, man, I gave him permission, because she's like, Nick, you got to help me. I can't do this. And so, I, I hooked her to a morphine pump, and I sat next to her bed, and I clicked the morphine and pump it in her system, just so she can go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, like, August 8th, 2012, it's probably like 2 o'clock in the morning. I lay on, got on the bed, and I said, all right, I've been selfish as hell. I'm going to let you go. And Because uh, she always uh, tell me, like, you know, take care of my sister, Joanna. And I, I ain't taking care of Cal. I'm here, grown man. <laughs> <laughs> and so, man, I laid next to him, and I said, I'm going to let you go. I said, I'm going to take care of Joanna, but I ain't taking care of Cal like that. But she was, you know, asleep. Oh, I don't know if she can even hear me at that point in time. But I was like, so I've been selfish. I said, you go. I'm going to be all right now. So I said, I've been selfish. And uh, man, probably like 13 minutes later, she died. Mm. She was gone. Mm. Yeah, she let go, man. So I just never, I think I like went through so much mentally. Just, just, I was, I went into a state of depression. Nobody knew that. Um, I didn't really cry the whole time. Like I literally went to the funeral home and I literally decorated the entire um, like I did all the flowers I did all the pictures that were on a casket like I set up the whole entire thing and I sit there every day I would wake up go to the funeral home and just sit there I didn't want nobody to take pictures of her like I would just sit there every day and like even like uh, you know going to and, and, and like I you know went there picked out her casket clothes like and I was her um, beneficiary of her estate and all that and so my the house that I bought my grandmother she wanted me to take her the remaining of the balance and pay the house off. So I paid the house off with that. And so um, she uh, wanted me to buy my uncle a new truck. So I bought him a new truck. And so did that. And then, you know, you know, got a funeral, <laughs> did the rest of it with the funeral and stuff like that, man. But I didn't, I maybe shed a little bit of tear in there. But I had, uh, you know, I'm the, got to hit the button to let the casket down. And then I left, man. I, I remember sitting there, I was like at the table and like the 
when we had like a kind of fellowship afterwards and I didn't eat, I was just sitting at the table, just like, and cause I had to go to work and I sit on the porch. I'll never forget this. I was sitting on the porch with my grandmother and it was just me and my grandma. I tell people that the most difficult thing that for people is like when they experience loss, you have all these visitors the whole week, right? The hardest time for you is after the funeral, the next day when everybody's gone. Yeah. Right? So we had like probably over a thousand people. There were like, my mom's funeral, close to 3,000 people. The news was there. I mean, the news was there, like interviewed me when I, as soon as I got out of the uh, limo. I mean, students, because you know, students, former students, she, she taught for like 27 years in high school. Yeah. So faculty, I mean, it's a ton of people. And, um, you know, I just, you know, for me, I, I, I just, that was, you know, it was tough for me. I act like it wasn't, but I was in a state of depression. Like, I lost the love for football. I didn't really have a really good year that I thought I would. And that's when I just stopped playing. I probably could have played another three years and maybe got, like, 14 years in the league because my body wasn't hurting much at all. Like, I was, I never had any major injuries. But that took the life out of me. And I just was in Arizona. Uh, got divor- Just got divorced. And, and man, I was just by myself, man. And uh, it was tough. And I, I never talked to anybody about it. I never got help for it. I just ate myself, like eat, emotional eater, eat, 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 eat. And then I finally got help in 2018 when we got fired. So this is 12, my mom died. I got help six years later. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I just covered it up, I stayed so busy, I never wanted to deal with it. I just, you know, just kind of living life and just, you know, didn't, I'm not a, drug or alcohol guy but food was my drug like I love food and so um man I just ate my man I got big you know I was eating you know still walking around being my jolly self and I always ask tell people like man you never know what somebody's going through like and you should ask them you know because I was I was saying that to people because I wasn't I was I was the living breathing example of that right and so man it was it was hard because it happened so fast and there's a lot of moving parts then, and I was transitioning out of my playing playing career to my coaching career, and uh, and then so it was just me and my grandmother, and my grandmother remember telling me like, son, it was just your, your mama's time, it was her time, and mm-hmm. so so I lost my mom, that was it. I go to move to to Cleveland, you know, I go back to Cleveland, coach there for a year, go to the Tennessee Titans, and so I'm I'm there in Tennessee, and um, you know my. Cousin Betty, who was my sister, we were raised in the same household together. Man, and so um, she was a was kind of like the person that was a. She was her name was Betty. My grandmother's name was Betty, and so she was kind of like one of the pillars of my family. Like, if you needed something, she was gonna come be there for you. I mean, she loved life. She loved music. Had a lot of friends. She traveled a lot. Man, she had three kids, love them to death. And man, she was just an amazing person, you know. Um, you know, love to have a good time and could really, really cook. Um, her and her husband attended our church. And so man, one year I was I was I was at the um I was with uh the Tennessee Titans man and you know, she had been got sick, right? She had became sick by here and there. And um you know, just sick here and there, and 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 uh, man, I just didn't really understand it because it was like one thing and after the other. You know, you hear people, people in small towns make up things, man. They they're saying that their husband put voodoo on her, and 
all this stuff. And, I, you know, you're sitting here and all this crap. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, you know, what are you talking about? And uh, but anyway, so, man, she gets sick in and out of the hospital, in the hospital. She gets in, ends up in Savannah Hospital. And um, so, man, I um, I get with her. And, uh, you know, she's just saying, you know, I was eating at a restaurant and her husband says, hey, I need to, you know, talk to you. And and uh, so, man, we have a conversation, man, told me that she had uh, uh, contracted, you know, AIDS, mm-hmm. you know, um, um, 20-something years ago. Wow. Nobody even knew. I didn't know. Yeah. And maybe the other people that knew and they knew, but I didn't know. And, man, I was just blown away. And... Um, it was a tough time, you know, um, in that situation, man. Just, you know, you're waiting for somebody. You know what's coming, and you just, at that point in time, there was a, her husband was just too weak to make a decision. I had lost my granddaddy. I lost my mom. And I, so I've been in that decision having to make a, make a the choice. And so when you're in there, you got to make a choice whether to, you know, don't resuscitate, resuscitate, put them on life support. Don't put them on life, life support. And the thing with her was like, she, her breathing was fine. Mm-hmm. It was just, they were trying to keep her, her, her blood pressure up. Mm-hmm. And so they put that by, from a medical standpoint, they only can give her one more, maybe two more, you know, um, bags of this medicine mm-hmm. that was allowed per medical law or whatever to keep her alive, to keep her blood pressure up. And so I was like, Hey, let's, let her kids get down here so she can visit with our family. My grandmother let all these people come. And then after that, you know, um, what we'll do is, uh, you know, you know, give, I just don't want to be in pain, you know? And so family comes, I explained to her kids like what was going on once they got there and they will give a little bit of medicine. She can go to sleep and she gonna sail off into the sunset mm-hmm. in peace, you know? And so, man, I'll never forget. This is mother's day. Um, this is 2000, um, 18, um, right. Mother's day, man. She, uh, it was, I was in the room and I was watching the, the system and, and, uh, I couldn't, you know, I was trying to figure out like, you know, like, you know, like which numbers to watch. They sat in the third and I was watching it, man. And I was slowly seeing those numbers descending down and I kind of knew she was getting ready to leave. And man, it was the most quiet, peaceful thing ever. Um, and man, it was quiet, and the sun was rising. And when the sun was rising, that's when she passed. Mm-hmm. By the sun on Mother's Day, it was like it was it's it's scary, peaceful, but scary at the same time. But it was so peaceful in the room, like there was peace in the room, man. And and so that was that was tough. And then and so How old was she? Uh, forty eight. Forty eight. Yeah, forty eight years old, man. So that was that took a toll on my grandmother too. My grandmother was still living at the time, so. At this point in time, it's me and my grandmother, my uncle, and then my aunt, who is, you know, really just kind of in and out. So, you want to take a break? No, nah, we can get going. <laughs> yeah, I got all these guys and the people emailing. Uh, all right, so so I met Auburn, and um, man, I met Auburn, and. Um, so I um you know took I leave Cincinnati, take the job at Auburn. I was actually headed to Jacksonville, they're gonna work down there for Urban Meyer, had an opportunity to take that job and then they call me, I go to Auburn. 
I'm in Auburn and uh, I go on vacation. I'm, I'm taking a little time for myself during a break, man. And so all of a sudden, get a phone call. My uncle tells me my grandma and kind of had an episode. Well, that episode happened to be a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And so she got life invited to um, Savannah, uh, not Savannah, to um, uh, Statesboro, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Man, and so I come in there and uh, man, I, I literally get there. And I'm coming from California. I didn't really know how severe it was until I got there. And this is what I walk into. Oh my God. Right. So I walk in the room. And so they had to freeze my grandmother's body. Um, like, so I walk, I come in off vacation. To, this is about a year and a half ago. I walk in there and I see all these machines. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, every bag, machine, like, I was looking at all the bags that were there, the medicines. So she, what they did was they froze her body to try to preserve whatever brain function she had. Um, and then um, they warm it back up. So my grandma was 84, 85 years old. And that's what I walk into. She's on a ventilator for like 14 days mm. and came off and was able to come out. And I always tell people, because I got some family members or friends, a friend of my grandma, unless she's sick right now. And I was like, man, you better be careful. Like when you, you know, talk to the Lord, like be specific about what you want, because like he will like he will answer your prayer. Like, but be specific about what you want, because I asked God for two months. Lord, just give me two months. He gave me two more months and then she was gone. Mm. And so but I just wanted to see it come out of that situation because. Like during that period of time, which I never really had time to grieve, which is why I kind of went went to my whole weight loss journey. Really, you had part of my family who were people that my like my aunt who grew up in the household with me that was like you know don't want her to suffer, Lord take her. Then you had me and my uncle who are praying to keep her here because you know we love her to death and we've been our primary caregivers for the last ten years. Mm-hmm. You know, my uncle was really you know, who's like my brother Julian Holland is really kept was probably for me is the most consistent family member who consistently watched after my granddad and grandmother his whole life mm-hmm. especially the last 15 years calling them every day checking them on every day checking on my grandma made sure she was had to ride to work not to work but to dialysis um to church like come home help her get dressed like took care of her like Literally, that was like his child. She's like, they she's talk about me and my uncles, like they think they my daddy, you know. Mm-hmm. She's 80, 84 years old, man. So, you got one family, oh, I hope she leave. You got this side of family, you know, you know, we want her to stay and get better. And so, man, I never even got a chance to grieve four days until my grandmother was on, she's on life support. I'm sitting in the room, my aunt goes on a rant for an hour and 50 minutes, like on Facebook Live. <laughs> about my, me and my uncle she gets pissed because like if you're a t- the the daughter or whoever like you don't need permission first of all you don't need permission to to go on to to you know to get information about my grandmother one of the reasons why I kind of really didn't you know because like they were making like what was going on with my grandma like public, not like Facebook. Get information, post it on Facebook. Get information, post it on Facebook. And I did something stupid. Was going on there, trying to give people get people to pray to to combat some of the information that was being put out there. 
And so now it's like it's a Facebook delivery message board, right? My grandparents are both well known, but I don't want if I'm in, ever sick, I don't want nobody giving a daily report about what's going on with me, et cetera, in the hospital. But no problem. So she goes on a rant for hour and fifty minutes to the point where she's calling my uncle, you know, a homosexual. She's talking about me on there. Hour and fifty minutes, your mom is in ICU unit and you're on a Facebook live for hour and fifty minutes to go on there and talk about all of your emotions and problems, etc. Wow. So yeah, it's what I said, right? It just blew my mind. So that's going on while I'm at the hospital praying and 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 fasting and reading the Bible. And I got a person that I grew up in the household with who's supposed to be my sister who was raised in that same house out in the little pink house that's going on a rant for an hour and 50 minutes. And we're supposed to be family. Yeah. And so she's got her kids and then some of my other cousins in a group with her. And then here's my aunt, my uncle, myself, my sister, and our group of people. And so now our family split up because of whatever reason. And so for me, that was really disappointing because... Like, if you have something to say, you know, about family, keep it amongst the family. If you want to talk about me to another cousin, but when you go public with the information, like, that was a problem for me. Yeah. And so, you know, even now, right now, this space where I'm at now, like, I'm, you know, in a, a state, not in a state battle, but in a battle with her because my uncle was trying to be a good brother and signed her on to my grandmother's deed. Um, and my grandmother told him not to do it. I told him not to do it. And then so, and so did two or three maybe clergy friends of my grandparents told him not to do it as well. But he signed her on there. And so now she wants to be bought off the property mm-hmm. of a property that she never took care of. She came back for a short period of time you know, and live there at the house, but she's never taken care of the property. She paid one water bill. Yeah. And so, man, she wants to be paid off, which I'm going to pay her off because at the end of the day, like she says that the, the, the property has no sentimental value to her. That's what she said mm-hmm. to the mediator when we had a mediation about two months ago. And I'm like, what? We all grew up on this property. You knew how much this property and land meant to my grandmother. And so I think my grandmother maybe knew that that's probably, you know, like, mm, I wouldn't put her on there. And I just just didn't I didn't think she was a bad person. I just think like, you know, she's like me. I didn't want to be on there either, you know, because like I'm doing my career, doing my thing. I really don't see myself coming back there and, you know, you know, unless I'm about 90 years old, about to die. But I didn't want to, you know, if anybody, if my uncle who's take care of it, cuts the grass and like takes care of it. Like, he was on there. He should have just, he could have remained on there by himself. And I would have been totally okay with that. Yeah. Like, if he was on a deed by himself this day, I would have no problem with that. But she's on there, and she was, man, she did that. Man, I was at Auburn. I mean, she on there just, oh, you know, if you had time, I would leave the thing with you and let you watch it for an hour and 50 minutes yeah. about all the things she said. Is it still up there? Oh, is it up on Facebook? Oh, no, I got it on an oh, external hard drive. Oh. I'll let you, I'll leave with you. You want to take a look at it? You got some time? <laughs> let you. Uh. So she's on there calling my uncle homosexual, this and the third. And so I'm in the hospital with my looking at that, and she's on Facebook. And she only came and saw my grandmother maybe twice that whole entire two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. And so, man, I don't know what that's about. Is she angry or she feel like she was left out or whatever? 
you know, but, you know, now my family's like divided in a sense, mm. you know. Um, there are some of my cousins who are still associated with her that that's totally fine with me because I don't like, like, you know, my daughter did her hair like a month ago. I don't talk bad to my daughters about my aunt because I don't, you know, whatever issues we have, those are the issues we have. So I don't want to, I don't want my kids to get involved with that because they're innocent. They're kids. You know, when she was on this Facebook parade, my daughter got on there and her daughter was on there cheering her on. Wow. Like, you're, you know, wait a minute. This is your grandma too. Like in ICU, shouldn't we all be together praying? But they're all on there just, she's going on this rant and people are cheering while I'm in ICU. And that just really pissed me off. Like, I was just so disappointed. Very angry um, the entire time because, like, my grandma lived a couple months later. And that's that's all I could play back in my mind when I was at the funeral. Like, I really stood up the most of the time in the back of the church. I couldn't sit down. I was just so agitated, mm. so angry. And I carried that anger, like, for a long time. Like, I was just so mad um, because my grandfather and grandmother didn't stand for, like, drama and stuff like that. And for something like that to take place from from somebody that I grew up in the house with, it just blew my mind. still blows my mind today. Mm -hmm. Like, if you had an issue with me, just address that issue amongst ourselves. But you do, like, a public, like, blank, 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 blank to, like, basically defamation of character, slander. Yeah. You know, that type of thing and to your own like flesh and blood. So that that's been like so now my family's like really kind of there are people that are kind of straddling the fence in both of both worlds. You know, some people like, you know, they don't deal with us because you got this group of people talking about us and then you got these other group of people talking about them. And so it just kind of I just you know, I don't have a lot of friends. I talk to my uncle. I always have I got my brother, my sister. I mean, and then my cousins that I talk to when I talk to them. But, man, it's just a bunch of whole family. My my grandparents would be so disappointed, man. But there's division mm. in my family um, because of just he say, she say stuff and people holding on to grudges. Yeah. And so I've used those situations for myself to to be able to help other people and to help my players um, through their family situations and to help, you know, other families that may be dealing with that, man. It's not worth it, man. You got to have a heart of forgiveness at some point in time, you know, because, you know, family is really all you got, you yeah. know, and sometimes the only thing that you have when the world turns against you. And so, um, so that happened in 2021. One morning, so I was driving, a lot of people don't know this, I was driving from Auburn two to three times a week, three and a half hours there just to sit with my grandma for a couple hours in the middle of the night mm. and then drive back to her. So I'd make a seven-hour drive. Wow. And then be back at work the next morning? Yep. And nobody would never know I went. Mm. Then Derek Mason, who I love to death, man, he was here last week mm. just visiting with me, man. He knew, but I don't think Coach Harson knew the number of times, three times a week mm. I was there. Any chance I can get and go there, and if it's just me coming there sitting at the, sitting at the house when she was there because my uncle took some time off of work, and I told him I'd have his back to sit with her. Um, and where she was in a nurse home, I used to go there, sit with her for a couple hours. And just just to, just any little bit of time I had, I took it. I wanted to do it. Took advantage of it. I didn't go there and take a picture and tell everybody I was sure. there. I was just going. So two to three times a week, I was going to visit her up for two months. Like driving back and forth, Auburn, seven hours. Come back, be at work, seven hours. And Coach Mason told me, he's like, man, I was concerned. Like, man, you're just going to run yourself in the ground. And um, I remember 
uh, just one morning, I'm coming from, this is before the Georgia State game, I'm on Highway 96 in between, um, I think that's Houston County, Warner Robins, and Fort Valley. Um, a car kind of um, kind of suddenly stops. I suddenly stopped and kind of had to veer to the right. There's a girl behind me on her cell phone going 60 miles an hour. Does not see us. Oh, man. She hit me and threw me up into a tree. When you said did not see us, who... who... She hit me, and then she hit the car that was in front of me, oh. and that car hit another car. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was like a five-person passenger, like, wreck. This is on a... Back road, two-lane highway. Two-lane. Yeah. She hit me. Since 21, right before the Georgia State game. I'm driving, and, uh, man, she knocked me. Luckily, I was kind of off. So she hit me enough in my tail that knocked me, threw me up into a tree. Up into a tree? Yeah, sideways. You mean like airborne? And, yeah, like boom. In wow. tree. And uh, when I woke, so it knocked me out for a second. And because my head hit the top of the truck yeah. or whatever. I was in a Ford Explorer. And uh, when I, by the time I came up, I felt this ringing like in my ear. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. And uh, and somebody was at my door. I was like, sir, are you okay? Are you okay? And that's when it was chaos. And then finally, you know, ambulance and police and stuff was everywhere. I don't know if I know some people got hurt pretty bad, but I don't, I don't think nobody died. You know what I mean? But so I got rushed to a hospital and just did neck. I had some, um, so I could not feel the um, um, probably. Left side of my face, oh, I was like numb for about a month or so. Oh my god! So I couldn't feel feel my face. It was crazy. It's so weird. Did you coach the Georgia State game? Yeah, I did. Did you have to wear like a neck brace or something? Or? Uh-huh. I just came out. I came back. I was hurting, but I just did it. Huh? Came back. And you were coming it. back from from seeing my grandmother. Yeah. One early morning, sun just rising. I was barely. Oh, you drove through. You got up really early that Saturday. Yeah, I got up that. I went down there that. Yeah, so I was coming back. That was a Thursday night because I didn't go to the team hotel Friday, so Thursday night. If you're in the Columbia or Sumter or PD areas and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced, professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3500. 
800-242-5507. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. I just, I kept going, man. But, man, I was in a dark. So, my grandmother passed. So, before my grandmother passed, Altor Bodrick, who was my teammate here, um, had a heart attack and died, man. And he was one of my only few teammates from that I played here at Clemson um, that kept in contact with me and followed me throughout my NFL career. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wasn't every day, but it was every once in a while. I was going to hear from him um, when he was engaged and him and his um, fiance used to come to my games and travel all the teams I played for. He followed me through my coaching career, bragged on me all the time, had my jersey at his house. I mean, the whole nine, man. So he died just suddenly. Wife said he came home and just kind of sit down to play PlayStation and boom, shared a thud on the floor, floor and then they never got him back. Wow. So that just – I was – I was in uh, Kroger in Auburn, and Chad Carson called me, mm-hmm. uh, who was my teammate, and um, and told me. And uh, I just I just left. I just, I don't know, I was in such shock. I just went back in my car and left, went back to my office. And just was like, that's crazy. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we talked, we Zoomed. We just had a Zoom just to kind of celebrate. He had just got married. Mm-hmm. And literally was, I don't know, married for some months. Before it happened, mm. and uh, man, just just had had some out of heart condition, heart attack, and mm-hmm. um, so we all went, you know, went to the service. So that happened, and then like a month later, my grandma had a heart attack, and then she died two months later. Man, that was just a lot for me. Um, and I had really, I really went plant based. So I was in Cleveland, not Cleveland, but Cincinnati with the Bengals in twenty twenty. I started plant based. I lost eighty seven pounds. I was in heck of a shape mm-hmm. I, I mean even like where I'm at right now I was like 35 pounds lighter than mm-hmm. I am now then and um it's in great shape man but I just slowly but surely start back eating meat didn't you know take care of myself I was coaching you know I was recruiting recruiting doing all the things you're supposed to do as a coach functioning within that environment but man I was going through it mentally I was in a dark space man my grandmother who was like my queen my life really the 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 foundation of my family was gone and then um you know um was going through some you know uh attrition just just in life with you know relationships and it was just it was just and then all stuff happened with my aunt who's my sister i was just blown away by that that bothered me still bothers me to this day i just don't you know understand that but i mean i just started eating again just went back that food was my comfort and and man, I was just eating, eating, eating. That's all I care about was food and mm-hmm. desserts. I mean, I was Oreo cookie with a Coke, like Debbie cakes. You know, I made a lot of jokes on social media about, you know, you know, loving zebra cakes. And, you know, I think that came from a thing I did on YouTube when I was with the Bengals and I was at the Senior Bowl. Um, was telling them like, hey, if you want me to tell you something, just give me a, a zebra oh, cake yeah. and a Coca-Cola. You seen yeah. that? Yeah. yeah. And so, um, man, I just, but mentally I was just, just mourning, you know, angry. I was mourning 
And then I, because I just couldn't mourn at the time because of all the drama that was going on with my family. And it was just, just very disappointed in so many people. And even the ones that brought it to my attention, it was I was just so angry because it's like, you'd rather talk about that than just let's talk about praying. Like, I don't, you know, it just was a distraction. Yeah. And, uh, but, man, it was really, really tough um, going through that. It was, like, one of the toughest things, you know, because she was the last of the Mohicans. Yeah. Um, you know, she was the last of... So my grandmother buried four of her six kids, lost a husband of six, seven years, mm. and then she was the last of all her siblings. I think it was seven or eight of them. And she, she was the last one left of all her brothers and sisters, too. Wow. So she was, like, the last one. And so yeah. she talked about dying a lot. When she got to the point where she couldn't take care of herself, she's like, oh, I don't want to be a burden. And I'm like, mom, be quiet. And so I used to be like, you like, oh, I'm going to die. I'm like, listen, I don't want to hear that either. Like, I used to tell her, like, yeah, that's between you and the Lord. Don't tell me that. Yeah. You know, man. But it was hard, man, at times just trying to find people to help, like, look after her and stuff. It, it was just so amazing to me that everybody just kind of pops up when people get really, really sick. And then people think they've been there the whole entire time. Um, the only person that really was there for my grandmother, not not me, I'm talking about consistent, was my uncle. Like, he took care of her. Mm-hmm. And so he struggles still sometimes to this day. And he, he was, he's a pastor, he loved the Lord. Like, it really took a toll on him. Like, that was, like, his pride and joy. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a hard. It was hard for both of us because she was, you know, we were her. She called us her daddies, you know. These my, these my daddy, you know. Like, you're going to have to ask Vince and Nick. Like, she going to ask for Vince and Nick. Well, Vince and Nick, Vince and Nick. And so, you know, that just really took a toll on us. And so... You know, now I I just I think last September I went to the doctor and, you know, I was going to be like on some pre-diabetic medication. <laughs> so I was like, what? And then I could feel like I would walk up the steps at work and I'll be breathing hard. And I'm like, oh, no. And then I'm sitting around looking at some of my teammates and people like dying from like aneurysms, heart attacks. And then I seen what my 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 cousins and relatives have like gotten on dialysis machines that never is a good ending yeah you know it just drains them um to watch my grandmother go through that and be able to like i've never been in a dialysis center like walked in there um i mean people and watch how they hook them out the dialysis i didn't know they actually went through the skin each time they hook mm-hmm. them up they i mean they put that port in there but what happens is it, it, they stick it so much to the point where they don't even feel it no more mm-hmm. when they stick go through their skin to it the, the, the access the port i mean it's yeah. And then they come off and they're so drained. I mean, it's just like they're like out of their mind, delusional, because mm-hmm. they're just drained. They're just so drained from being on the machine. Mm-hmm. And so, man, I, I just, that's my biggest fear, you know. Um, it's it's a biggest, biggest fear for me. Um, and so, man, I've just, uh, just tried to um, eat a little better. Um, I've been plant based. Golly, man, the there is called Herbal Pharmacy in um, Greenville, which is where I go eat today. Man, that, that has been life changing for me because it's it's plant based food. There in a place called the Naked Vegan in Greenville are the two places that make my plant based journey so much easier because they have really good food. Now some of it still like apple dump cake, it ain't good for you. I don't care if it's vegan, plant based, keto. Right. It's like. But man, just the options are. Her name is uh, uh, Eugenia Sally. She owns the 
Herbal Pharmacy, and it's been a lifesaver for me because I can still enjoy black eyed peas, you know, and rice and cabbage and collard greens, and it's all cooked with with no meat, no dairy, and it's amazing. Um, just seasoned with natural seasonings, etc. And uh, you know, like today, I'm gonna pick up starting tomorrow. I'm gonna drink three juices and a meal, you know, every day mm-hmm. until I reach my goal. I still got thirty. 30, 33, 31 or 32 more pounds to go. And then I've joined the uh, uh, um, Junkyard Fitness. I joined Junkyard yeah. Fitness. So I've been over there at Ben Bowers' place and just trying to um, just find different ways to get in shape. They really, really push you in that place. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty intense. Um, Chanel Valentine, who came with me from Auburn, she, she went first. And then um, I followed her afterwards. You know, um, just to go because I was like, man, I'm not trying to do CrossFit. I'll just stick to my elliptical and lifting my little weights because it's worked for me. I've lost 60, you know, 60 pounds uh, just doing this. You know, I might stick to just doing this, what works for me. And that's the thing that I learned about just weight loss and things, man. I think it's just different strokes for different folks. You got to just find out where it works well for you because I think really diets are all relative to the individual. Yeah, and I, I just tell people like this: what I've done may not be the way for you to go. You might not need to, you know, get on the elliptical, you know, for thirty minutes and go thirty minutes of lifting. You might lose it just eating right. You know, yeah. I've seen people lose a lot of weight just eating right. I didn't eat right. You know, mm-hmm. I ran into one of my former players the other day that I coached in Tennessee. I mean, he was three hundred and forty pounds, and now he weighs about two sixty five. Wow. And I was just like, man, like how he's like, oh, I don't, I ain't worked out. I just, I just changed. I just don't eat much. I just don't, eat, I don't eat crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, portions, so portion control, and just he don't work out though. Yeah, but it looked like he he do, but he don't. Wow. Yeah, man. So I just, you know, I, I think like for me, you know, but for me, like as I look at my life, like I want to, you know, I want to become a funeral director one day. You know, that I think that'd be my contribution back to. Um, being able to give back to people in their time of need, you know. And I just ironically, I've lost, you know, about 30% of my family, 40% of my family. The older generation of my family is pretty much gone. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lady that is um, was really good friends with my grandfather and grandmother that's like 90 years old, 89 years old right now, that's in the hospital. Um, you know, um, like for me, you know, I heard that and I know, like, I'm not even necessarily close with a lot of the family, but I'm I know I know enough of them to know to call like, hey, what's going on? Give me updates. And I know how much this lady meant to my grandparents, right? And so, you know, I paid for they had like, you know, you know, five to ten family members there. Bought them all dinner last night. Find out what hotel are you guys staying at. I'm gonna pay for the hotel oh, wow. while they're down there just to help them. Mm-hmm. And they're like, man, you know. Why? Why? Hey, why? No, you don't. Have, why are you doing this, man? It's like because that your grandmother was 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 very much highly valued to my grandparents. Yeah. And and when my grandmother was and my grandfather was sick, and my grandmother was sick, that lady had people even though she couldn't drive like she wanted to, would have people come that so she can pray with them. And I ain't forgotten that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I always tell people you remember those who were there for you when you go through some things. Yeah. Like you'll remember those who were there and you'll remember those who wasn't there too when you mm-hmm. went through some things. And so I remember that. And although I don't have a personal relationship with her, she knows who I am, but I'm going to do that, you know, in honor of my grandparents because I know they would do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it ain't going to be a, you know, 
public knowledge or a Facebook post, you know, right. about it, man. That's just me. I, I've done a lot of things that I've forgotten about and people that came back, but like, hey, man, I want to tell you I appreciate you or even being back here, just like, hey, you know, you signed this poster for me when I was nine. Yeah. I'm like, what? But I keep forgetting, like, I was here 20 years ago. And I was like, dang, you know, so this kid's 29 years old now. <laughs> He's got a family, a wife, and kids. You know, He's got gray hair, you know, got a beard. He's like, man, I was a little kid. I'm like, little kid, man, you got a freaking gray beard. Like, how old are you? Yeah, like, oh, man, I'm 30, 33, you know. I'm like, what? So, um, but, but, man, I just, you know, I just want to have a peace of mind. That's my goal when I, when I, when I leave here. I don't care about, like, if I think about, like, what does Nick Eason want, you know, in life, man? I just want, you know, good things for my family, and I just want a peace of mind. Mm-hmm. That's it, man. That's that's all I care about. I can be in a, sh- a cabin in, in the woods. It's like I got a peace of mind, I'm good to go. Yeah. Because I have so many friends that are actors, rappers that I know. They're the most miserable people in the world, mm-hmm. and they have the most things that I know in the world. Mm-hmm. Houses in other countries, houses in LA, twenty-seven thousand square foot homes, mansions, you know, every car you can possibly need, no bills, but they just like can't find their way. They're yeah. still trying to find them. So they're unhappy, mm-hmm. you know. So what happens? You see it all the time. Turn to drugs, or they just, you know, over time, drugs get old, traveling gets old, and you're just in a space of loneliness. And I don't want to be in that space. Like mm-hmm. I just want to be happy, man. Like I, I want to be happy. I want. I want people to remember how I made them feel. You know, I want my players to become good, good husbands and good men. I want um, families to stick together, you know, and not be torn apart for lack of love. I want people to, you know, be willing to to not judge. You know, we live in a world where people are so judgmental. You know, I, I tell the story all the time where um, there was a young lady that, um, um, from from my hometown, um, um, that that um, near my hometown that I was friends with, that was a um, drug addict who was on drugs really really bad, and um, was in the hospital alone. And me and a friend actually sat with her until she passed away, mm-hmm. and we were not even family members at all. But people had turned their back on her because of the lifestyle that she had lived, but she was still a human being. And, and didn't need to be in ICU by herself. Mm-hmm. And so we sat there, read scriptures, and um, until she passed away. And this was last year. Um, mm-hmm. I left work. Um, here? Yeah, yeah. I left work here. It was in Georgia, but I was here at work. And right. finally I heard about it and left and went there and stayed there until like 2 or 3 in the morning. And the guy was like, who are you? I'm like, oh, I'm just just a friend. He's like, so you're not a relative? I'm like, No. And, she's like, and then he was like, are you really? And then she's like, oh, she like my sister, but no. And he's just like, wow, man, y'all some good people. Mm. You know, but, you know, she was on drugs, and but she was a good person, very smart, very intelligent. And what people didn't know is, man, she, she faced some very, she faced some adversity as a child, molested, you know, take advantage of, you know, mistreated, abused, and just kind of just thrown away. And so she just turned to drugs. And uh, a lot of people don't know her story, but, you know, she she ended up turning her life over to Christ and it was in a good space when she left here. But being in that moment that night 
Because I always say, like, God places you in spaces. I think God really orders our steps. I truly believe that. But I was there, and I was not phased. Like, some of my friends was like, you have a sense of peace, like, with in here. I was like, unfortunately, I've been in these rooms way too many times. Mm-hmm. You seen the picture of my grandmother, like, all the machines, and she didn't have half of that in there. So I was just real calm. You know, my mom didn't have a lot of machines. My sister had some. You know, um, grandfather, none, great-grandfather, none, but I've seen it, you know. And um, she's like, you have a sense of peace. And I was like, yeah, because, like, at the end of the day, one thing I've learned, like, man, no matter what you do, like, God is going to do what he's going to do. And people die, you know, every day. I learned from Dr. Patty Ornette, who is a friend of mine who's from Pittsburgh as well. Um, She started dating a gentleman. She dated a gentleman who had, like, prostate cancer. She knew he had prostate cancer, and she's a... OBGYN, she's a physician, an OBGYN physician as well. So she's delivered like over 3,000 babies. I think she might even be retired now. And so I was like, Dr. Nett, I got a question. Like, you know, you know, I love, you know, your your boyfriend just in the third, like, but you knew that he has terminal, like, a cancer. So I was like, so, you know, why did you, you know, kind of date him? I'm not saying not date, but like, why did you get yourself in? Because emotionally, you're going to take on that responsibility. And she put things in perspective for me. And she said, Nick, like, I've delivered over 3,000 babies. Let me give you a perspective. When each one of those children have been born in this world, they start the process of dying. She's Mm -hmm. like, all of us are dying. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't, you're not born, you're born to die. Like, you start dying when you enter this world. You might not think of it like that, but that's what's really going on. When you're born into this world, you you grow, you get older, but you're starting the process of dying. That's what you begin. Like, as you live your life, your body starts to die over time, you know, just because that's the way it works. And I was like, I never really thought about it like that, but it's so true. And so, like, you know, I told my friend, I'm like, I have a sense of peace because, like, whatever God is going to do is going to happen. Yeah. So that's just, that's just pray. We'll pray that. The Lord delivered from the situation. Sometimes that delivery is through, you know, is through, you know, passing. And, you know, sometimes there's healing through that situation. But, you know, I was able to because they were on a it was a situation where same thing back to fast, you know, go back to my sister or my cousin. I call him, but I call him my sister situation where should we put it on a ventilator? Should we not? And I'm like, no, I don't think you should do that. You don't want to see that. Why? Here's another little story I left out. 2015, coming to Nashville, um, my daughters, my oldest daughter's dad comes up. Her, My oldest daughter's grandfather and grandmother come to visit me for a game. We get ready to play the Atlanta Falcons. They come take a tour of the facility. Um, so it's my two daughters, their mom, my two daughters, their mom, the aunt and her boyfriend, grandma and granddaddy. All right. So seven people, they come up, visit, put them up in the team hotel, take it to a facility the next day. They go out. Grandfather's having like, you know, heartburn or whatever. Boom, comes up. I'm in the room. Get a phone call. Her mom's on the phone. Nick, get down here. I'm like, I need you to get down here. It was on my cell phone message forever. I had to delete it. Mm-hmm. I need you to get down. I need to get down here. So we get down there. Man, he's laying in the bed, unconscious. And nothing. And um, she, um, my girl's mom began to perform uh, CPR on him, got an IED machine, 
man, just trying to get his heartbeat back. You know, don't really know what's going on. Know if he's choking. We pull stuff out of his mouth. Blah blah blah. Get to the hospital. They come in there. Like we called down a, a chaplain, and I'm like, wow. And they're like, man, not gonna make it. And then he's probably already gone at this point in time. But we go in the room, and I mean, there's, you know, seven eight people taking turns, like, yeah. on top of him. And uh, so he died. He had his. Tennessee Titan gear, set out everything oh by the God. bed. And so he died uh, before we played this. 2015, October, I think, uh, 2016. It was 2015, right before we played Atlanta Falcons, because I ended up coaching the game. But, uh, man, that was, it was, I was like, you know, you're talking about a wave of just, holy smokes, this really just happened. My daughter slept through it. They was in another room. Try to come from the hospital at 2 or 3 in the morning to let them know their grandfather, who they just been rode up here with for seven hours and been hanging around living with, just died while you were in the room, in the other room down the hallway. Hotel. Yeah. Team hotel. Team hotel. Team hotel. Oh, my God. Yeah, man. So it was like. For the morning of the game? Yes. Oh, my God. Saturday night. And so, man, I just, I just, for me, that's why I am the way that I am. I smile, man. I have a good time. I enjoy life. I don't know when it's going to be, you know, you start thinking about, you go through all those experiences and um, you just never know. You know, it's just, I've, I've seen people go quick. I've seen people suffer to death. Um, and then, you know, I was just, you know, I just want people to love, man. I've, I've, I've been in a very strong Nick family and then all of a sudden people getting their emotions and their feelings and all of a sudden there's a split. And then now, you know, and it's all about egos and this person got a problem with this person, et cetera. And it's nothing really like what's going on. And that's what's going on in the world. There's so much hate and so much. We, we segregate ourselves because of race, because of economic status, um, because of, um, you know, spiritual beliefs. I mean, you look around in Clemson, I mean, it's probably like freaking 20 churches. <laughs> like why? Why we can't all just fellowship together? Because, I, I mean, that's another sector that segregates people, too. Churches, you know. I see it all the time in any community. You can go this community, that community, black community, white community. There's freaking 10, you know, you know, this church, 10 African-American churches. Like, it, it's just, you know, because there's a lot of, <laughs> everybody wants to be a chief and not an Indian. Yeah. You know, there's no not enough. There's a people that don't want to follow. They want to be in charge. And that's, I, you know. Bible says that many are called, few are chosen. And so I just, you know, I just try to stay out of the way, man. I, I've, I've I've rolled up on a car um, where a young lady, car had went airborne, airborne, airborne and flipped over. There's a five year, four-year-old kid that was in the back, got ejected out of the car, is in the woods, blood is all over himself. This young lady come to find out the kid got out of his car seat. She didn't pull over. Instead of her pulling over, she's trying to get the kid to sit down by while driving. And the car flips. And the kid gets ejected. The car is turned over in a ditch as I roll up on it. And um, there, I'm in a space in southeast Georgia where there's no cell phone reception. Right? So who are you going to call? 
And I'm thinking about running to a house I saw down the road, but I can't because the car starts smoking and the mom is still in there. Oh, my God. And the, the half of the car is underneath. So another gentleman myself, we can't. It's buried in the dirt. And so we're trying to bust the window open to get her out. She wakes up, becomes conscious, sees the smoke. And so she starts screaming. So this young lady is in the car, in the seatbelt. We're trying to break her out. Luckily, a guy and his son was coming by. Um, from a fishing trip and was able to help us lift the car so we can lift it up, open the door, and get her out. And the car blew up like three minutes later. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I had to take this young lady and her son. Um, I think a gentleman. No, I had the, the, the kid and the, the mom and the boy in my car, blood everywhere, because I could not get, couldn't call the yeah. ambulance because there was no reception yeah. out of all places. And so I had blood, I had to lay the kid, I, I mean, the kid, I, I think his back was broken. I mean, his back, he ended up living, she is living, they fine now, but, I when mean. was this? It's in Lions. This is um, yeah, probably 2016, maybe. Wow. Yeah, man. So, what? I just, what questions you got for me? <laughs> And that's the part of this interview that'll stick with me for a long time is after three plus hours of all that, Nick Eason said, what questions do you have for me? That is an all-time life story right there for sure. I appreciate Nick sharing so much of his time and so much of himself with us. Appreciate the support of our sponsors as usual for their help in making this happen. And of course, thanks to every one of you for hitting that play button every single week. Cheers.